So our theme in youth group this year is all in. Learning how to go all in with our faith. And that theme really melds very well with Palm Sunday. And our theme verse, as you can see on the screen behind me right here and up there, is Luke 10, 27, which says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is our theme for going all in. As we're going to see today, those four things all kind of intertwine and weave together, and all four of them were present on Palm Sunday. And so we are going to look at the account of the triumphal entry of Jesus, and it's, it's in all four Gospels. Um, of course, we're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew because it's clearly the best Gospel, right? You know what I'm saying? And so the Gospel of Matthew, starting in chapter 21, verse 1, and as you turn to Matthew chapter 21, verse 1, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to look at your word, to look at your truth. That we would be able to see what we can learn about you. That we can learn about what you expect from us. And we can apply that to our lives as you give us the grace and power to do so through your spirit. And Lord, that is what I ask for right now. I ask for your grace and your power to speak through me and to prepare our hearts to hear your truth. We ask this in the name of our King, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, before we can just jump right to Matthew 21, it's important that we understand, well, how did Jesus get to the gates of Jerusalem? And so you can kind of look at the map behind me here and can just imagine real quick the timeline that uh, happened. This is Jesus' final journey down to Jerusalem. And you see, he came from, from way up north in the Gentile region, and he came down and he, he went over the Jordan River and then crossed back over. All this is all in the kind of the last year of his journey. He stopped in Jericho about two weeks or so. We don't know exactly when before. And he healed two blind guys, and then he called the short guy out of the tree. Remember him, Zacchaeus? That was all in Jericho. And then he went to Bethany, which was only a couple miles from Jerusalem. And it says in the Gospels that he got to Bethany the day before, six days before the uh, Passover, which would have been Saturday. And he stayed with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Lazarus, if you remember, was the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. And he did that a couple of, well, months or so before that. Again, we don't know the exact time periods. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they threw him a party. And there was a ton of people who were invited and came. And it was at that party, you'll remember, that Mary anointed Jesus with perfume. And then Judas was like, what are you doing? You could have sold that for lots of money for the poor and Jesus was like, no, 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 that needed to be done because it's for my death. And no one really understood what that meant, but we understand what it means now, right? And so that all happened on that Saturday before, well, 
the next day, which was Sunday, which is when we remember Palm Sunday. And so the next day when Jesus wakes up, he starts going to Jerusalem. And all the people who were at the party, the Gospel of John tells us, they kind of followed him. They started following him to Jerusalem. And then the Gospel of Luke tells us that other of his disciples started to kind of tag along as he was making his way to Jerusalem. And then when they got to the outskirts of the town of Bethpage, Jesus tells two of his disciples to go on ahead. And that's right at this point that we pick up Matthew 21, verse 1. And it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So we see in this little part of the passage here, the very first step in laying our palms down at the feet of Jesus. We need to lay down the palm of our mind. We need to lay down the palm of of our mind. You see, the disciples, they had heard the words of Jesus Christ. They heard what they told him to do, but they needed to lay aside their own understanding and actually accept his words as true. What do I mean by that? Well, these two disciples here, these two disciples Jesus told to go on ahead, were just told to go and take a donkey and her colt and bring them to Jesus. Jesus hadn't been in the town. He hadn't seen the town. He didn't know that the donkey and colt were there, or so they may have thought. All they heard was the command of Christ, the words of Christ, and they had a choice to make. They were either going to accept his words as true, or they were going to trust in their own understanding the fact that this guy can't possibly know that these animals are in there and do their own thing. And that is what laying down the palm branch of our mind looks like. It looks like trusting in the Lord and not leaning on our own understanding. That sounds a lot like a verse in Proverbs, doesn't it? The very famous Proverbs chapter 3, a verse that is the life verse of many of us, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding, right? In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. I mean, they had to have been wondering, how does Jesus know? And even if these animals are there, these, the owner is not just going to say, okay, go ahead and take them. So they had to make a choice. And they had to decide to accept the truth and submit to submit to what Christ was speaking to them. And really, we see here what going all in 
in our faith is all about. It's all about submitting every single part of us. And it always begins with our mind. Because the reality is that you and me, we, we, we could wrestle with some of these truths. We could wrestle with what we find in Scripture. We could wrestle with, well, what it says and the implications. We may doubt things, as I'm, we know the disciples doubted at times. But ultimately, if, if we're going to be all in for Christ, starts with the submission of our minds. The problem is, many of us submit, and then we want to pick those palm branches back up when things stop making sense, when things stop computing with our logic, or with the way that we want it to go. And of course, the devil, right, he loves to play into that, doesn't he? He loves to whisper those little lies. He loves to say, hey, you know, you can't really believe this book, right? You can't, you can't really trust that. He's not, he's not really God. He doesn't really love you. He's not really going to forgive you. You can't really accomplish that. Of course, we know that those are all lies, but that doesn't stop the devil from continuing to speak them to us, to try to infiltrate our mind and get us to want to pick those palm branches back up from the foot of our king. We have to lay down our mind first and foremost at the feet of Jesus. But as we continue on, in verse 6, it says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And Luke 19 adds, And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And right here we see, the second palm we need to lay at the feet of Jesus. In order to be all in in our faith, we need to lay down the palm of our strength. The palm of our strength. We have got to give up control. And do it Jesus' way. Now, recognize here that the disciples, they did exactly what Jesus told them to do, to the letter. They didn't try to do anything apart from what he said. They repeated back the words exactly, the Lord has need of it. They went and found exactly the donkey and the colt, and they went up and untied it. The owner came out, spoke the words. He said, okay, and he took them right back to Jesus. Everything that the Lord said to do, that is what they did. If you're anything like me, it doesn't always work like that, <laughs> does it? We hear and believe, and then we think, okay, I got it now, thanks. And we try to do things under 
our own strength. Keeping things under our control. Okay, I'm not going to not going to do this, but I'm going to do not do this the way I want to do it. The disciples heard the words of Christ, they believed him, they trusted him, and then they obeyed what they told him to do exactly the way they were told to do it without controlling the situation for themselves. They let Christ stay in control. They let him be the guide. John chapter 14 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And obedience, of course, is critical when it comes to laying down our strength at the feet of Jesus. But how we obey is just as critical. If we try to gut it out and do it under our own strength, that's not laying our strength at the feet of Jesus. And I got news for you. We fail when we try to do it that way, don't we? And you know what I'm talking about. And so we try to keep control. Maybe it's over that difficult job situation or it's over that family member who rubs you the wrong way or maybe it's over whatever situation may be. My health, I'm going to work out every day, three times a day. Control it all. We need to lay down our strength at the feet of Jesus. But as we continue on, we get to verse 7 of Matthew 21. And it says that they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Now, just an aside here, the them there, he sat on them, refers to the cloaks. Jesus sat on the cloaks. He didn't sit on both the donkey and the colt at the same time, like straddling, all right? He was sitting on the the coats as the coats were on the colt, the little one, the baby one. You ever wonder why they both would be there? And by the way, Matthew's the only gospel that mentions that they're both there. Well, because... A young colt that had never been ridden upon would be crazy wild. And so with mama there to help steady them in the midst of all of the craziness, that would have helped bring some situation. Okay, I don't know why I'm telling you that, but, you know, it's just fun information. All right, so he sat on them, the coats, on top of the colt, and most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So we see here the third psalm 
we need to lay down at the feet of Jesus the palm of our heart, the palm of our heart. Like we said before, each one of these, these elements are intertwined with one another, and none more so than our heart. Our heart, our passions, our desires, our will, all of those things in our heart, they affect every other aspect, every other part of us. And we see here that these people, they were ready to worship the Messiah. They desired, they were passionate about their Messiah. But it was the Messiah of their choosing. The Messiah that they wanted, that they desired. They spread their coats and the palm branches, which is what you would do to welcome a king that happened all over the ancient world. And they even recognized him as the son of David. That he had come in the name of the Lord, in the name of Yahweh, their, their covenantal God. And they proclaimed him as king. The Gospel of Luke tells us that they pronounced him king. They correctly recognized Christ as the Messiah, but it was the Messiah that they desired, that their hearts longed for. The Messiah that would deliver them from out from under Roman rule. And what better way to do it than to come in triumphantly during Passover and get rid of the Romans? I mean, what was Passover? Passover was celebrating their deliverance out of Egypt. When Moses had come in and destroyed all the Egyptians with all the plagues and everything, right? And delivered them out of Egypt. And then through the wilderness and through the Red Sea. And the Egyptians were all crushed in the waves when it collapsed back on them. I mean, what better time than the deliverer who's going to throw off Roman rule, right? Yay, Jesus! Hosanna in the highest! Hosanna, by the way, means, oh, save, or save now. Interesting, huh? They were crying out for salvation. Save us now, Jesus! Save us now! Hosanna to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Son of David. You're the Messiah. Go and save us! They got it, but they didn't get it at all, did they? Now, we have the benefit of hindsight, and we know that Jesus Christ came to deliver the entire world from the bondages of sin and death and the consequences of our sin. They didn't know that. I mean, they could have known that. Their own in the way. And here's the thing. Our hearts get in the way. And we miss those moments where God wants to do something amazing. But gosh darn it, I want my way and I'm going to cry out to him, Hosanna! 
I want that new car. Hosanna, just, just, just job, come on. Hosanna for my girlfriend, please. Don't we? Right? We, we want what we want because we know that that's what we should have. That's what I, that's what I want. You know, those things that we cry out for, that our heart longs for, they might be good things. I'm not saying they're not good things. But if we're not careful, they will blind us to the reality of what Christ wants to do in our lives transformation, the salvation that he wants to deliver us into. We really need to be careful about our hearts because if we look closely and evaluate, there's oftentimes evidence picked up those palm branches. And just, to, you know, this area, I want to hold on to this one. You can have those things over there. I'm laying those down. But this one I want to hold on to because I just really want this one. I was talking to someone this past week about a relationship that they were in that was breaking up. And I was working them through that, and they said, you know, I saw a picture last week, and it, it, I understand it now because you know, I was talking with them, and they said in the picture there was a girl, and she had a teddy bear, and this teddy bear was kind of like disheveled and like broken, and, and you know, it wasn't all that attractive, but she was holding on to it because she wanted it. She wanted that teddy bear. And standing opposite her was Jesus. And he had a big smile on his face, and he was holding out his hand, asking her to give him the teddy bear. And behind his back had a brand new, way bigger, way better teddy bear. Couldn't stand it. But it was for her, she was going to get it, only when she was willing to give up the first teddy bear. Play this trick all the time. But we hold on to our teddy bears, right? We, we, we don't want to put that palm branch down. That one's mine. Brothers and sisters, we have to yield our desires. We have to yield our hearts to the Lord and lay them down at his feet in every way that he shows us. And finally, I want you to turn over in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, verse 41. This is the triumphal entry account in Luke chapter 19, verse, verse 41. I'm going to read a couple verses there, and you'll see it on the screen behind me. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it 
saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. It's in this little passage, we see the final palm that we have to lay at the feet of our Lord if we're going to be all in. And that is the palm of our soul. Jesus wept over the city because the people missed who the Messiah truly was. He was there to give them peace with God, not with the Romans. He was there to set their souls at peace with God instead of at enmity with God, at war with God. He came riding on a donkey, an animal kind of missed that little fact. He wasn't riding on a big old white horse. It's going to happen later on. John 14 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And John 16 says, I have said these things to you that in me, Jesus Christ, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen? An amen to that one. Christ wants to give us peace. He wants to set our souls at peace. We have to let him. We have to make the choice to lay that down before him. Say, you know what? I am not going to do it. Because I can't do it. And that's the gospel, isn't it? That God made a way to save us through his son, Jesus Christ, because we can't save ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to save our souls. Our souls are destined for hell apart from faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what Christ wants to do. He wants to save us. He desires that all of us would be saved. That all of us would have peace. Through him. saved us so that we could spend eternity in heaven with him. And until that time, live a life of joyful, faithful service, bringing glory and honor and fame to his name. 
crying out wherever we go, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. I read a story this week about a high school student named Brian Moore. Some of you may have heard this story before. 17-year-old high school student, and he had a paper that was due that he had to write describing what heaven was like. And so I'm going to read to you the paper that Brian turned in. In that place between wakefulness and dreams, I found myself in the room. There were no distinguishing features except for the one wall covered with small index card files. They were like the ones in libraries that list titles by author or subject in alphabetical order, but these files, which stretched from floor to ceiling and seemingly endless in either direction, had very different headings. As I drew near the wall of files, the first to catch my attention was one that read, Brian Moore. I opened it and began flipping through the cards. Quickly shut it. Shocked to realize that I recognized the names written on each one. And then without being told, I knew exactly where I was. This lifeless room with its small files was a crude catalog system for my entire life. Here were written the actions of my every moment, big and small, in a detail my memory couldn't match. A sense of wonder and curiosity, coupled with horror, stirred within me as I began randomly opening files and exploring their content. Some brought joy and sweet memories, others a sense of shame and regret, so intense that I would look over my shoulder if anyone was watching. I never ceased to be surprised by the contents. Often there were many more cards than I expected, sometimes fewer than I hoped. I was overwhelmed by the sheer volume of the life I had lived. Could it be possible that I had the time in my 17 short years to write each of these thousands or even millions of cards? But each card confirmed this truth. Each was written in my own handwriting each signed with my signature. When I pulled out the file marked songs I've listened to, I realized the files grew to contain their contents. The cards were packed tightly, and yet after two or three yards, I hadn't found the end of the file. I shut it, shamed, not so much by the quality of music, but more by the vast time I knew that file represented. When I came to a file marked lustful thoughts, I felt a chill run through my body. I pulled the file out only an inch, not willing to test its size, and drew out a card. I shuddered at its detailed content. I felt sick to think that such a moment had been recorded. An almost animal rage broke on me. One thought dominated my mind. No one must ever see these cards. No one must ever see this room. I have to destroy them. An insane, 
frenzy overcame me, and I yanked the file out. Its size didn't matter now. I had to empty it and burn the cards. But as I took, as I look at it and began to take it out and began pounding it on the floor, I could not dislodge a single card. I became desperate and pulled out a card, only to find it as strong as steel when I tried to tear it. Defeated and utterly helpless, I returned the file to its slot, leaning my forehead against the wall. I let out a long, self-pitying sigh, and then saw it. The title bore people I have shared the gospel with. The handle was brighter than those around it, newer as if it was almost unused. I pulled on its handle and a small box, not more than a couple inches long, fell into my hand. I could count the cards it contained on one hand. And then the tears came. I began to weep. Sobs so deep that they hurt, they started in my stomach and shook through me. I fell on my knees and cried. I cried out of shame, not for what I had done, but from the overwhelming shame of what I had done. The rows of file shelves swirled in my tear-filled eyes. No one must ever, ever know of this room. I must lock it up and hide the key. But as I pushed away the tears, I saw him. Please, not him. Not here. Anyone but Jesus. I watched helplessly as he began to open the files and read the cards. I couldn't bear to watch his response. And in the moments I could bring myself to look at his face, I saw a sorrow deeper than my own. He seemed to intuitively go to the worst boxes. Why did he have to read every one? Finally, he turned and looked at me from across the room. He looked at me with love and pity in his eyes. This was a pity that didn't anger me at all. I dropped my head, covered my face with my hands, and began to sob all the more. Walked over, put his arm around me. He could have said so many things, but he didn't say a word. He just cried with me. Then he got up and walked back to the wall of files. Starting at one end of the room, he took out a file and one by one began to sign his name over mine on each card. No, I shouted, rushing to him. All I could find the words to say was no, no, as I tried to pull the card from him. His name shouldn't be on these cards, but there it was, written in red, so rich, so dark, so alive, the name of Jesus completely covered mine. 
written with. He gently took the card back. He smiled, sad, knowing, yet loving smile, and began to sign all the rest of the cards. I don't think I'll ever understand how he did it so quickly, but the next instant it seemed I heard him close the last file, walk back to my side, placed his hand on my shoulder and said, it is. I stood up, led me out of the room. There was no lock on its door. There were still cards that were going to be written. Promise everyone. story is very touching, but it illustrates how powerfully Christ's love is for you and for me, and how much he yearns to save us and to give us Brian Moore died two months after writing this. Far out. Well, actually, there's a lot of irony to this story. He didn't write that at all. Joshua Harris wrote it. He turned it in as his, plagiarized the whole thing. And I found that fascinating because it so illustrates attention within every single one of us to want to pick those palms back up and do it our way, even when it's a good thing. <laughs> Luke 10, 27 is the greatest commandment. Shall love the Lord your God all all soul, all your mind, all your strength. You need to lay all of those palms at the feet of Jesus. Let him be our king. Let him be the one who saves us and delivers us. But we have to be willing to submit. Hold back anything from him. Saved everyone by him. 